0: of Scripture today, then we're going to jump in. Uh, you guys are standing, Once want you open your Bible to the book of two passages. Number one, open up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, and then secondly, hold your finger there and then go to the book of First Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. As you are opening up there, I'll tell you a little bit about what we're doing. Uh, we're in a series called Renovation of the Heart, which we started three weeks ago. This is actually uh, week number four. Uh, what we're doing is we're looking at practices that help shape us as followers of Jesus. Uh, And these are practices that Jesus himself did. These are practices that early uh, followers of Jesus had done. And they're practices that all followers really throughout the history of Christianity have done. And our invitation to you would be to really think about how do these practices play into your life? If they don't, to really think how can they become a part of your life, if they do, how can they become more regular and actually more uh, intentional in terms of what God is intending through these practices, which we'll unpack a little bit more in just a moment. So I want to read these two passages and then I'll pray and then we will jump in to get to work looking at this. Uh, I'm going to start with First Timothy. So sorry, I told you Luke first, but it's going to be First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 says this, train. And then jump on down to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Just a simple statement. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And uh, let's pray right now. God, we ask you that you would open our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our imaginations to what you want to do uh, within us. God, that the work that you do inside of us, reshaping, remaking us, would then begin to make its way outside of us, into our world, into our neighborhood, into our families, into our workplaces. Uh, God, we believe that your aim is to fill this earth with the glory of God. That's always been your aim, to fill this earth with the glory of God. And so, Lord, begin to show us how and what type of shape that takes. So we commit this time in your hands and we pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. All right, guys, why don't you all grab a seat? Grab a seat. So uh, we started this series about four weeks ago. Kind of go through just a quick little, again, why this. I think it's just sort of helpful for us to consider and rethink through this. Uh, why, where are we headed ultimately through this? Uh, the big aim is we want to be like Jesus. We want to be uh, with him, be like him, and ultimately be doing the stuff that Jesus is up to in this world. Uh, we believe that's a, the New Testament word for that is disciple, follower of Jesus. Uh, secondly, why does any of this really matter? The negative aspect, what we've been saying, is uh, to miss Jesus ultimately is to either remain or drift towards this continual state of meaninglessness, anxiety, or the sense of just insignificance, feeling like, where do I fit in? Who am I? Who am I in the place of this you know, big you know, impersonal universe? And we as human beings, we can't live like that. But the positive aspect is to ultimately know Jesus, and this is, by the way, the claim of Scripture, the claim of what Jesus has to say, is as we know Him, as we walk in relationship with Him, and as we receive the life that He offers to us, uh, we begin to discover meaning in the place of meaninglessness. We begin to discover peace. Uh, in exchange for the anxiety that oftentimes plagues our souls. And then we ultimately discover this imperishable identity in the place of insignificance that we oftentimes are are left to try to figure out and deal with. And so ultimately, where do you fit in? What we've been inviting you to consider is really you have to answer that question for yourself. Uh, are, Are you a follower of Jesus, number one? And if you are a follower of Jesus, what practices are helping you to become transformed? You've reshaped into that likeness of what God is up to. So with that being said, I want to now circle back and take a look at the passages that we had just read and then we'll look at the broader practice today of the subject of praying. Now, if I were to ask you before we jump in uh, to think about what type of words would you use to describe if I were to say the word prayer? What comes to your mind when I say pray or the subject of prayer? uh, What do you think of? For some of us, you might think of the equivalence of like a spiritual Jedi Knight, someone that has accomplished a lot within the spiritual realm, someone that is like a spiritual elite, someone that has progressed in terms of incredible maturity and whatnot. They are sort of this special class of super Christian. Others of us might think of just a a painful, boring duty. What is prayer all about? Oh, it's that thing that people do that put me to sleep. All right. Others of us, we might feel this sense of prayer is good, but at the end of the day, uh, I don't pray, even though I think it's probably a good practice to do, and therefore, I'm really just a horrible human being, because I don't do what I really should be doing. In other words, we deal with gr- uh, guilt. So what I want to suggest to you, I don't. wherever you're at on the map, and you maybe have other ways in which you think about it other than what I just described, my hope and my suspicion is that many of us, we deal with that subject matter of guilt. We recognize it's a practice we should be doing, or if we are doing, we should be doing it way more than what we're actually doing it, or if we are doing it, we may be able to be doing it better than what we're doing it. At the end of the day, we always, I think for the most part, at least people I've talked to, as well as my own experiences, have felt this continual chronic ache of, I'm not doing it right, I'm not doing it enough, and therefore I'm just kind of what amounts to like a failure uh, as a follower of Jesus. My hope would be to sort of rescript that narrative for you so that and to recast ultimately a vision for you as to what prayer could look like. And realize it's actually something that God invites us into that's transformative, that will reshape you, that will bring you into what God is up to in this world in a really unique and profound way. And at the end of the day, my hope would be to try to give some uh, really practical ways of thinking about this that I think I don't want to say simplify it because it's interesting. Um, many people when they use phrases to describe prayer other than ones that we describe, the people do do it. They're like, oh, it's like serenity or it's wonderful or I get this inner peace. Do you know that the New Testament oftentimes uses the word like wrestling and like agonizing to describe this this encounter with prayer? Um, That's the opposite, by the way, of like serenity now, you know? And maybe that's been your experience with prayer is wrestling, anguish, turmoil. That's, if it is, good job you 're on par with what, how the New Testament describes it, but my hope would be that to kind of in recasting a vision for what prayer could look like, uh, that you would begin to realize that there are some practical things that I think we could do that would help to create new patterns in our lives. One final thing and i 'll jump into this is i 've been reading a lot a lot uh, a lot lately about how human beings change, just even from more of a psychological perspective. Uh, physiological perspective. In fact, there's been all this recent research over the past, I don't know how many years, decade or decade plus, uh, about the brain and how the brain actually can change. Uh, it's called uh, the neuroplasticity. Like the brain actually is like malleable, can be reshaped. That's incredibly hopeful because for many of us, you have patterns in life that are consistent with keeping you locked in a status of being shamed. You feel horrible as a human being. You look at your life and you think, that's not who I want people to know about me. Or that's not what I want people to know about me. Habits, ways in which you act, things in which you do. That you don't necessarily offer up by way of, you know, here's a selfie of me on Instagram. Doing something I know I shouldn't be doing, right? Because we are absolutely filled with a sense of, like, uh, shame over those types of things. But my hope is that, that we could see the power of God that's at work. And begin to reshape, by God's Spirit, our lives to become people that are like Jesus. So with that being said, I want to look at those passages that we just looked at again and make four observations of them, and then we'll jump into the larger, broader uh, subject matter of this morning. So number one, I want to just look at these two passages and draw four observations. Number one, that godliness, or the word godliness can be broken down, god-likeness, is ultimately valuable. That's just kind of like the big E on the I-chart, that uh, being godly or entering into a status of godlikeness is actually of great value. That's exactly what Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Secondly, that godliness, whatever whatever godliness is, godlikeness is, it actually comes through. This is kind of a really interesting thing. It comes through training. Listen to what Paul has to say again, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, train yourself for godliness. Now, I've been saying this for the past... Four weeks, three weeks. I'm going to say it again just to reiterate it, just as to where maybe our minds might be. Our salvation is not something we train for. just want to be really clear about that. Our salvation is something we receive as a gift from God, meaning God's healing over our lives, over our souls. The thing that actually takes our lives from death and brings them into life is a gift of God. We call that Salvation. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it, we don't work for it, we're not entitled to it. It's purely nothing more than a gift of God and his love and his benevolence to us. We receive it by faith or confidence and trust in the one who gives it. That being said, as we are in Christ and as we have lights or lives or hearts that are what Paul would describe as quickened or come to life, we have been called by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live into this new life that God has. We would call that, I think the way Paul would describe it, is godliness. Uh, we grow in godliness. And the way that we grow in godliness is what we can describe as partnership. Uh, I like to think of it this way. God says, hey, I'll give you power. I need you to just be in agreement with that. Say yes. That's, that's what it means to follow Jesus, by the way. Because, again, you could be a follower of Jesus or claim to be a follower of Jesus and be living for many years in your heart being filled with grudges and anger and unforgiveness towards other people. Well, how does unforgiveness happen? At some point, there has to come this breakthrough where in your heart, you are compliant and say, God, I want to be the kind of person that forgives. Help me. And then he gives you the strength, and you step into that, you lean into that. That's, I think, the language that Paul would use to describe training. We are training, there there is agonizing, work and effort by the Holy Spirit's power that we enter into, by God's power, again, I just really want to reemphasize, it is by God's strength, by God's power, God's supply of his Holy Spirit to help us to do these things. But again, godliness comes through training. In fact, the word that he uses there for training, we get the English word uh, gymnasium from. It's a place where you go to actually work out. It's the uh, Greek word like the training's place in so-called gymnazo. It's literally the exact same Greek word as that. Um, but the idea is you go, the place where you go to actually work out, lift weights, grunt, do something, break a sweat, the idea is there's, there's labor in the, the, the process of us saying yes to God. Because, again, if you've ever worked out, you know, it's not, it's not easy. It's not intended to be easy, by the way. If your workout, by the way, is like, that's a piece of cake, you probably need to lift more weights or walk an extra four miles or run a little bit extra on the treadmill, whatever. Because if it's too easy, then you're, you're not really doing anything. And in the same ways, the Christian life is like that as well. That there comes a point where we can be addicted to comfort, but as we grow, we have to press into, step into some of those areas that are challenging. And again, by God's grace, by God's power, by this process of partnership, saying yes to Jesus, he takes us into those places where he says, you got to forgive this person from your past. The daddy one that you have been carrying, I want to help you work through that. This anger issue that is constantly uh, destroying others around you, including your son and your daughter and your spouse, I got I to gotta, I gotta take care of that because you're literally poisoning, soiling your entire life. I want to help you. And then at some point we say, okay, yes. That's, that's agonizing, by the way. That's not easy. But to step into that, is to begin to step into what Paul would describe as godliness. It comes through training. And thirdly, we see that training ultimately is motivated by who we are and whose we are. That's what Paul would say, I think, in verse 10. Listen to it again. He says, For to this end we toil and strive, similar language, because, why? Because we have hope set on the living God. So again, this connecting, connecting word is the word because. Why do we strive? Enter into striving turmoil or like working hard uh, and breaking a sweat because of who we are. So this is the very opposite of Paul saying, "I'm working really hard so that God might accept me." That is not Christianity, by the way. Um, That is not how God works. That's what salvation is. Salvation, again, as I mentioned, is God coming to us saying, "You are dead." And I speak to your dead body alive. I speak to your dead soul. Arise. And we arise by faith, trusting him. God is the one who gets all the credit and all the glory at the end of the day. As we now arise, we enter in this partnership of saying, yes, Lord, take this area of my life. Yes, take this area. Yes, bring your kingdom into this dark zone of my existence, in this dark closet that... I don't even want Maria Kondo to ever even go into. God, please rearrange and bring order into that area as well. God, you do what you want to do in the sum total of my life. That's a partnership of saying yes to God, growing in godliness. And then fourthly, we see that Jesus' disciples, ultimately they want to learn uh, how to train, or train by learning, by asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. So Jesus' disciples somewhere in the depths of our heart, and I would say, even though this was his disciples' first century encountering with him, I think if, there's, if you're honest with yourself, and I think that if the spark of life, the Holy Spirit is alive in you, at some point in your heart, some place in your heart, there's at least a small glimmer of desire that says, I want to learn how to pray. I don't know if I have time for praying. I don't know exactly what prayer is all about, but I kind of want to learn. So I would suggest but if you are a follower of Jesus, somewhere within your heart is this slight desire. It might be slight. It might be like a little flicker on a candle. Barely alive. But it's there. So Jesus' disciples want to train by learning, by asking him, teach us how to pray. So with that being said, I want to jump in and uh, make this little statement. And we'll begin to look at some aspects of this. That prayer is a practice that shapes us into the likeness of Jesus by training us to lean into his will. Purposes and kingdom. So, prayer does. As we say yes to God, as we make space for God to do what God wants to do in our lives, that's ultimately what we're asking. It basically plays in the very prayer that Jesus gives us, which we'll look at in a little bit, um, where he says, Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what prayer is. It's, it's, it's not just bringing to God a laundry list of stuff that's wrong that we want Him to fix, though it does involve some of that. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about saying, Jesus, Where are those areas in my life, in my broader sphere of influence that your kingdom can then begin to make inroads and bring transformation? That's the big picture. That's about discovering and setting in motion uh, regular, frequent moments in our lives whereby we break. We pull away from the busyness and we say, here I am, God, uh, speak to me. And help me to bring to you those areas that I need you to bring your life into. So with that being said, I want to look at four basic things this morning. and We'll wrap this up. Number one, I want to take a look at rhythms, uh, posture, content of prayer, and ultimately some hindrances to prayer. So that's what we'll look at. Number one, rhythms. Let's take a look at some rhythms that we see uh, in scripture, but then also that we see play out into followers of Jesus' lives. Number one, we see daily rhythms. And this would be something that we see play into the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. That followers of Jesus, and very likely Jesus himself, had these daily rhythms. Which, in fact, by the way, if you are familiar with Islam, they they pray five times a day towards facing Mecca. Uh, They didn't create that. They didn't come up with that on their own. That actually was an adaptation from the ancient Jewish call to pray, which was to pray three times a day. They just added two extra uh, times to pray. But the big idea was that this goes all the way back even into Old Testament times, where, for example, the book of Daniel, you see this guy Daniel, which I'm super excited about getting into the book of Daniel next uh, as we begin to dig deeper into the subject matter of how do we live out uh, our, our identity as followers of Jesus in a broader context that's very hostile towards him. That's, where, that's what the story of Daniel is all about. But we see Daniel um, facing the moment of his day By pressing in, and we're told that it says that Daniel prayed three times a day. Again, this is sort of Hebrew tradition. Uh, It's likely that Jesus himself may have even had followed a very similar type of a pattern, even though there's no New Testament passage that would identify that. We know that even the book of Acts, it says that even Peter went to the temple at that hour of prayer. This seems to be like a New Testament illusion or indication that there were certain fixed moments or spaces, if you would, throughout the day, that people would actually pray. This is something actually that I, on a very personal note, that I've actually found very, very helpful for my own self in terms of actually just setting up, um, like, literally um, notifications on my phone that would remind me to pray. So uh, for me personally, it's 6 o'clock in the morning, it's 12 noon, and 6 o'clock at night. Now, I don't always, like, you know, sometimes I'll I'll swipe it, and it's gone, and I forget about it. But I have them regularly just going off daily to remind me. And when my mind is able to read that and be engaged, I'll just pause. And again, this goes into the whole bigger subject matter of like, should prayers be really lengthy? And again, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this in just a moment. But what Jesus gives us by way of a model, the Lord's Prayer, you can literally pray that in like 40 seconds. Again, the whole idea is to not just pray as fast as you can to get through it. That's just, that's, that's ridiculous. Don't do that. The idea is to pray it, to think about it, to consider, to tune our hearts into the frequency of what God is up to in this world. So again, it might look longer, it might look shorter, depending upon where you're at, depending upon the circumstances you might find yourself. But the idea is setting certain rhythms. That's the big idea I want for us to think about. Rhythms. What types of rhythms do you have set up? These are regular, reoccurring, <laughs> daily rhythms or cadences that we have set up in our lives. It might look different for each of us. We've got different schedules, different circumstances in our lives. But the key thing that I found extremely helpful is setting up certain rhythms in our lives that would be helpful. And again, one final word on this. This is not about setting up certain legalistic standards. So in other words, if you miss these rhythms, this is not about you walking away and being like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure, I'm a horrible... That's, that's trying to relate to God based upon what you're doing. That's, that's, that's not your identity. Your identity is you're a child of God, and because you are a child of God, you want to regularly, frequently engage with God. And if you miss it, you miss it. You don't walk away with guilt and shame. You just say, I want to, I want to, I want to meet the next one because I, I, I love, I love just meeting with, with my Savior, my, my God, whom I love and who I know loves me. Um, so secondly, we see weekly types of rhythms. Uh, these could be gathered at church or within community. So again, weekly rhythms. Uh, we'll talk more about this next week in terms of just uh, the practice of gathering. Like, Do you know that what you're doing right now is a practice? Many of us uh, we don't even think of it as a practice, but it's, it's actually a practice. The more you are actually able to discipline yourself to be engaged. We'll talk more about this next week as we get into the subject matter, because for some of us, you come and you're very, very disengaged. Now, I think there's some practical things that we can talk about that will actually reengage your heart. There's some perhaps challenges that you actually may be dealing with in your heart that you might not even be aware of. But the, the weekly practice of gathering together as God's people is something that the ancient Jews had done, long even before Jesus. They would do this in a Sabbath or on the Sabbath day, typically in a synagogue, or if there wasn't enough people to form a synagogue, they would gather in these, uh, these um, areas where they would just read scripture, they would do certain other practices. Uh, and then within the early church. it's really more of a modern concept that just has turned. Or as I should say, in, in some ways, mainly catered to modern day Christian uh, desires to where we're this, where these uh, Christian connoisseurs and or consumers. Where we're like, oh, I don't really feel like going to church today. And so we don't go for the next five weeks because it doesn't fit into our schedule. Again, we'll look more at that next week. But the big idea is that I think we can put into the cadences of our weekly schedules praying. Again, this is just how, we, how we can think of it and see it. We can gather with people. This is also an invitation for you as you gather, either as a larger church gathering like here or even within your smaller gatherings, uh, to bring, incorporate praying, prayerfulness into those moments where, again, there are people always around our lives. Maybe maybe you're the one that's going through a tough time. But imagine if you were part of a community in the moments and the challenges that you're facing in life. And in that community, people would pause and stop while you're gathering and while you're divulging the challenges that you're going through, and they're just, hey, let me just pray for you right now. What if your couch in your house where you invite people over, rather than just being a place where you sit there and binge watch Netflix all night long, actually became a place where you can actually like, pray for people and see people set free from sicknesses and disease and guilt and shame and brokenness and discover. And again, it's not, not guilt, shame, anything about binge watching. It is just as much as you guys, I'm sure. But the point of the matter is, is what if we were to take our spaces that we have, and with greater intentionality, even on a Sunday morning, because some might say it's really hard to pray with people. But again, it's, if we're looking for the opportunity, it actually becomes a part of our normal rhythm of just praying with people. So prayer is like this habit it's part of our lives, lifestyles. And then ultimately you see the rhythm of just randomness, basically. And we see this kind of appear throughout the Old Testament. Where Paul would even just say, pray always. And we see others in the Old Testament praying in the, what's called the night watches. So here's a couple of ways in which we see this play out in Hebrew tradition. Uh, Psalm 55, verse 17. I love this. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. I love this passage. This is like the cynical guy to like praying, all right? Um, in fact, uh, I think it was Eugene Peterson. He describes something like this, that if you read much of the, the, like the first 70 Psalms, many of them are nothing more than just complaints to God. Like, the psalmist is full of, he's, he's a complainer. But here's what he said about this. He says, in his complaints, the thing that distinguishes what the psalmist does, what many of us just do, right? Because some of us are like, this seems, sounds like it sounds familiar, the place where people go to complain. Gosh, it sounds like a spot like Facebook. But here's the point that, that we can think about, is that if you were to just tweak your complaint and your murmuring, To make it go Godward and not just simply out on a news feed in which you are just expressing, airing your grievances to the world, it actually becomes a prayer. Think about that. Just tweaking it just a little bit to where your complaints, no matter what it is, whether it's dealing with politics, whether it's dealing with whatever concerns that you have in your heart right now. If you just turn it Godward, that's a prayer. Many of us could be praying a heck of a lot more than what we're doing right now just by tweaking your rants on Facebook just a little bit. Think about that. You could be a radical prayer warrior. You didn't even know it. Here you go. <laughs> Anyways, Psalm 63, verse 6 says this. When I remember you in my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Again, here's this idea of just randomness. He wakes up in the middle of the night and in the midst of the evening, he can't sleep, obviously, so he begins to turn his heart towards God. So when you wake up in the middle of the night, if you wake up in the middle of the night, what are the habits that we typically do? Or when you wake up in the morning, what habits that oftentimes immediately go into autopilot? Now, a habit is something you just automatically do without even thinking. It, we, you might even describe it as instinct. I've said this before, that um, if you drove to church here, right, this morning, most of you did not, before you put your key in the car, grab the owner's manual, and were like, now where does this metal shiny thing go and what are those two petals down at the bottom? Have you got, you know, automatic or, or the uh, stick shift? What's the three petals on the bottom? You're, you're, you automatically know what all these things are because you've habituated yourself into doing that. And the same goes for our daily lives, like how we live, how we think. Uh, when you, if you were to wake up in the middle of the night or when you wake up in the very early morning, um, what are the things that we just habituate ourselves to? For many of us, it's just like you know, you reach for your cell phone. It's right there. And then before you know it, that cell phone grab turns into an Instagram swipe that turns into watching a YouTube video, that turns into watching the news, that turns into this black hole that turns into half an hour, 45 minutes of just sheer waste of, of, of our time. And maybe even in that moment, Uh, the raising of the level of our anxiety because we're looking at what other people are doing we're not. So we have this FOMO. On top of that, we are watching the headlines in the news. We're getting really angry and agitated and frustrated and filled with anxiety. And before you even had your first cup of coffee, you are literally filled with anxiety. Why? Because the moment your eyes open, you have habituated yourself into a practice. Do you understand? That is spiritual formation without you even knowing it. You're becoming a type of person without you even thinking about it. What I'm suggesting is the invitation of the gospel is to receive the grace of God, receive the gift of who you are, and then begin to think, what type of person does God want me to be? And then how do I become that? Training for godliness. That's, that's, a bit, that's what we're talking about. So... Uh, next slide is I want to take a look at uh, Jesus. Again, the study of Jesus' life and prayer is actually pretty amazing when you think about it. These are just a couple of passages, but there's a lot of them. Uh, these are great. So it says Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning. So just in case you miss what Mark is going at here, he says, Yeah, while it's still dark. So that very early in the morning. All right. For some of you, very early in the morning is like nine o'clock. All right? Uh, the very early in the morning that involves still before it's light, all right. Um, he says Jesus actually got up and went off into a solitary place and he prayed. Now again, what I love about this is they're not really making a major point about this other than just chronicling the life. Here's what Jesus did. Here's what our master did. Here's where the rhythms of his life. In the morning, he'd get up. Before the sun was even, he'd go hang out by himself with the Father. Though he was alone, he was not alone, right? Uh, Matthew 14, 23 says, after he had dismissed them, so again, this gives us a little bit of a clue as the author tells us that Jesus was with people all day long. Any introverts in the house, right? You know what I'm talking about. How exhausting it is to be around people. I'm that person. Like, I love my time alone. I can spend a lot of it by myself. And being with people over a too long period of time is totally exhausting. I need a nap. So Jesus has been spending a lot of time with a lot of people. And he's, I would imagine he's exhausted. He's tired. Even the Son of Man. Became weary is what we're told in the Gospels. So Jesus at the end of a very long day. Spending time with perhaps hundreds if not thousands of people. Giving himself away. It's exhausting at the end of this long day. says that he then went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. He saw the value of just being with his father. There's something life-giving about that. That I think is important for us. At least if anything. Just to note about the person of Jesus. So. Uh, Next slide. One final thing is, uh, we'll come back to posture in just a moment, but I want to make a quick statement. Um, In the early Christian church, there was this writing, which I don't have anything written up there for you to look at, this thing called the Didache. The Didache was called the Teaching of the Twelve. It's literally what the Greek word Didache means, the Teaching of the Twelve. Uh, Nobody really knows exactly where the document was formed or who actually wrote it um, or exactly when it came into being. Some believe it was between uh, as, as early as 50, as late as 120 A.D., but what we do know is that whatever this writing was, uh, we know it's not scripture, but we also know that it was basically kind of for the order of the community. Like, like this, was, this was a great, incredible insight to, to look at what were the practices of early Christians. How did they live? So there was this little passage in the Didache that was actually written. It says this, you shall pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day in this manner. Uh, The the big idea, what we observe from that, is just that the Lord's Prayer, which we'll look at in just a moment, was actually something that early Christians, that they would just pray three times a day. Again, at some point, some interval, some duration, some rhythm throughout the day was just a part of what they had done. So, next slide, we'll look at some forms of posture that we see throughout Scripture. Um, And then uh, we'll move on. So the idea of posture, slides come up, here we go, We'll go through these real quickly. We see standing. Um, There's associated scriptures to that. We see lifting of hands, uh, sitting, kneeling, looking upward, bowing down. The big idea is that there is not any form of set posture that you have to have. So kneeling down, those that kneel down, it's wonderful, it's great. I think there's some uh, good reasons as to why that might be a good habit or practice to do. It, uh, if, if anything, it keeps you from standing up and looking at your phone. Um, but I, I, one, a couple of things that I noticed even on this list is that there's not folding hands and there's not closing of eyes, which are typical uh, ways of thinking about prayer. Like when we pray, we're like, okay, let's all pray. We close our eyes and fold our hands. So again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's totally fine. But those are not necessarily found in scripture. They're not anti-scripture either. So again, if you do that, it's no no big deal. But um, the point of the matter is is that these are just different ways. So the big point that I would make with this is that posture is is all over the place. It doesn't really matter. I mean, even Paul would say, pray always and in everything give thanks. So if you're driving on the road, obviously closing your eyes and folding your hands is not going to be an option. So to be able to pray in a way in which you are able to be cognizant, and aware of God's presence while you're doing something else or multitasking is is totally fine. And I would even suggest it's part of the expected rhythm as a follower of Jesus. Um, Next, thirdly, we'll take a look at the idea of content. What are things that we can pray? And I think one of the elements that I've discovered in just talking with people over the years and also just kind of thinking about myself uh, as I consider like praying, I have oftentimes found myself kind of coming back to like what should I pray, right? Content, like what, what should I say to God? Um, or you kind of get to this place, and if you 've ever been around any form of Christian community or context for any length of time, you know there's this thing called like the prayer list right Again, people like keep a little prayer list, they have like five or six names and s- scenarios that are going on, and uh, they go through that list which is, which is awesome by the way. but at some point you kind of like exhaust that list and you're like okay I, I've, I've done that I've prayed for you know, my grandma's you know, cat for the past like six days and There's got to be something else for me to pray about. It just seems like repetitious and old. And so we kind of hit this like moment where like, I don't know what else to really pray for. And so we kind of then begin to move into exhaustion mode. And we just don't pray. So we disengage. We lose the fervor and we pull away from it. So what I would suggest to you, here's at least two and other forms, but these first two I would suggest, highly recommend, the first of which I would say very, very high, like like four-star, five-star, like big E on the I chart, don't miss this one. In fact, the reason why I would suggest this one, incorporate this into your life. If, not, if you've not already memorized it, my encouragement would be for you to actually memorize it, to do the labor, to engage the practice of memorizing this. This kind of plays into what we looked at last week, which is scripture memorization. Memorize this, and that way when you memorize it, it'll become like a car, Driving your vehicle. You're not thinking about, well, where's the key go? And where's my right foot go? And my left foot? And how do I turn on the lights? It's just all automatic. By memorizing scripture, by memorizing this scripture in particular, it's just it's in your heart. It's like what we looked at last week. Uh, your word, I have hidden my heart so that I would not sin against you. So that when you are in moments of, what do I pray? You, you throw the training wheels on. This becomes a framework. It becomes basically the, the outworking uh, the framework of what you're going to pray. And so as you pray, and if you forget, like, I don't know what to, really to pray. My, my heart feels overwhelmed. I feel kind of stressed. I don't, not, I can't even, I don't know where my list is at. And I, I think, you know, someone's dog is on there I should be praying for, whatever. But you can't remember the thing that you need to pray. Then just go back to this and just pray this. And I, and I think, again, where I would suggest, this is actually what Jesus intended to pray. He says, when you pray, pray this. So much so, this is exactly what the early church assumed Jesus said. That's why in the Didache that we just read, they actually just assumed, like, pray three times a day this prayer. So some may have this objection, well, could that prayer then just become rote and routine and just forced? Yeah, sure. Just like anything. Just like saying the words, I love you. or just like saying, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And you're not. Your life is falling apart. Like, we, we do this all the time. So the idea, like, fake it till you make it, is like, it's not entirely absent from all of this. But I I want to take this a step further even beyond that. Because I think if we just look at this and just say, I'm going to use this as my framework and just pray through it. That as I'm praying through it, as I'm actually intentionally thinking through this, for example, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. As I just meditate and pause upon that, I think, God, you're holy. You're distinct. And yet you love me. My father, you invite me into your presence. You don't shame me. You don't shun me. You don't shut me out. You invite me. This is amazing. Now my heart begins to get a little bit warmed, rather than cold and calloused. Uh, again, I can go down a little bit further. Where it says, "Forgive us our offenses, as we also have forgiven those who have offended us." So when I even pray that, I'm reminded of the fact that oh, that's right. I got offenses. There's these issues between me and God or these calluses that I've had in my heart or these areas of disbelief or frustration or angst that I've had that I've been dealing with in my heart. Do you realize that I'm now, and I'm on a rhythm, three times a day being confronted with those offenses? Not, not for the sake of like being shamed and guilted, but to remind me that i got a God that loves to forgive me and invites me into the process of forgiving. So as I'm praying, and help me to forgive those who have offended me. Do you realize that three times a day you are exercising the muscle of forgiveness? That when you pray this, again, this is what typically happens for me. I think of it as like a, you know, a, a, like a, like a musical, right? Don't, don't think really bad musical. Think good musical. So you have music playing in the background. And then you go off and you have someone like playing a guitar solo. So you're riffing off of the, the, the rhythm or the melody that's already playing. And in that, that's, that's kind of what I, ends up going on in my mind. So when I'm praying... Father, forgive me, even as I've forgiven others. My mind then begins to think, venture and drift in a good way. Drift. Who are others I need to forgive? Oh, that's right. That person and that person that hurt me and that person that betrayed me. And that person that I'm not even really sure what's going on in their head. God, help me to be the type of person that forgives them as you have forgiven me. Do you realize what's happening? You you might not notice it in that moment. Just like when you go work out and you get a really good workout. After that initial entry into working out where you spend 45 minutes an hour doing, you know, dumbbells and running on the treadmill and doing all that. You absolutely will not. Just hear me out. You will not look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But maybe in time. Of regular, repeated, and maybe a lot of like roids and stuff like that. At some point, you might become that type of person that looks like that. You might not want to look like that. But the point that I would make is that it comes through habit. Regular, persistent activity. And as you pray. Daily. Three times a day. However, whatever types of rhythms you set up. God, make me the type of person that's forgiving as you are forgiving. And help me forgive those. You're regularly inviting the holy spirit's presence to show you and to shape you and to make you into this person and in time you'll become the type of person that looks like acts like lives like does the stuff of Jesus that's that's the trick like i mean there really is no trick it's it comes through practice working hard partnering saying yes to the holy spirit inviting new habits in our lives that will help us to become the type of people that are like this. So the Lord's prayer, we see that. So, um, so I would highly recommend memorizing this. We're actually going to come back to this. Uh, second prayer that I would suggest that's really easy to remember. Some have described this as the New Testament version of the Shema. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament it's Shema, it's uh, the passage that says, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and might. We actually sang a version of it in one of our in our, our worship set. But this idea of this phrase where Paul says, There's one God like Paul is literally borrowing Old Testament language to say there's one Yahweh, one God. But then he adds to this. It's absolutely not only a Jedi like incredible Jedi mind trick. That's Paul is literally knowing what he's he knows what he's doing. he's bringing Jesus into the same level of Yahweh. And he's saying, "Listen, there's one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist." And then he says there's one Lord. Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Do you, do you know when you pray that, when you think about that, at least for me at least, I'm reminded of this fact of like, oh, that's right. I'm not an end to myself. I may be a consumer, but I'm not the main player in the story here. You're not the main player in the story. This re-centers me on what's happening in the universe. That he is the one from whom are all things, and for whom we exist. Do you realize how radically reshaping and reorienting just praying this, thinking this, is for me? It puts me back into this place of recognizing you are God. I'm not. I don't have to have the responsibility of carrying every single burden in the, on the planet. You do. You're king. You love me. And you invite me to trust you. It's, it's, it's what prayer is all about. Again, it's this idea, the way Jesus would put it earlier. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Lastly, um, last next slide is uh, here's a couple other ways. Uh, Psalms uh, again is an ancient Hebrew prayer book. Uh, Jesus prayed Psalms. In fact, even on the cross, Jesus prayed Psalms. When Jesus is dying on the cross, uh, he was so familiar with Scripture, uh, especially the Psalms, that when Jesus can't even articulate words, you know, he is literally praying. Psalms. Uh, it's just, there's the prayer book of those who followed Yahweh. Uh, and then finally, uh, prayer books. And again, this is, this is something that might kind of shock some of you, but um, I think many of us, we come from more of a Western, Protestant, um, evangelical, where I think anything that tends to have any form of tradition or rootedness beyond 50, 60 years ago, we become highly suspicious of it. And I think that's that's really bad. That's unfortunate. I think it should change, to be quite frank with you. Because as followers of Jesus, we stand on a long history of people who follow Jesus. Like, we did not invent Christianity in 1970. You know that, right? So we stand on this long history where Jesus has always been working for the past 2,000 years. And one of the ways in which he's done this is through even moments like prayer books. And I would suggest the whole point of prayer books was to help people that are kind of stuck just read a prayer and enter into that. And so Valley Vision is one I'd highly recommend. It's called The Collection of pertinent Prayers and Devotions, which is phenomenal. You can get super cheap on Amazon. You get the idea. Odd to Heaven, Rooted Earth is another one that I found really helpful. It's by a uh, scholar by the name of Walter Brueggemann, which, again, is just a fascinating, amazing read that I've been incredibly blessed by. Lastly, I'll just say about this, we were we'll move on to the next slide, We'll come back to this in two seconds. You can leave it up there. Um, Is one other area that I found really helpful for me, when my heart feels stuck, when I feel, especially in the morning, when I feel like, you know, my mind is maybe not well rested or I'm thinking about things that I got going on throughout the day or circumstances that I'm going to face or whatever, and my heart just might feel overwhelmed. One of the things that I do is I'll just, uh, you know, watch, I don't know, like a YouTube video of a worship set. Or a worship song. You know, I, I, I love Bethel's music. Like Jeremy Riddle, a lot of times, is one of my favorite worship leaders. I'll just put on a Jeremy Riddle uh, song and just watch it and enter into it. And while that's happening, there's something that's taking place in my heart. It's thawing is what's happening. It's thawing. Those calluses, those little hardened areas are beginning to become softened. And in that moment, as my heart begins to thaw, my heart begins to uh, become unhardened. And untethered from its anxieties, I begin to enter into just this realization that God, you're here. You absolutely love me. And you invite me to trust you, to be the type of person that resembles you in this world. And then I felt my heart beginning to turn Godward and say, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. In this clay earthen pot as it is in heaven. And let your ways be accomplished through my life. In other words, my life, hopefully, begins to take that shape of practicing prayer to become the type of person that looks like Jesus. Uh, lastly, here's a couple quick little hindrances, and I'll wrap it up. Uh, number one, sin. Isaiah chapter 59 describes it this way. It says that your injustices have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden your face from uh, his face from you, so sin becomes a major blockage or hindrance to our engagement of praying. Um, secondly, self-centeredness. Some of us are having a really hard time praying because we're just focused super upon ourselves. We are a hyper-individualistic society. We'll look more at that actually next week as we look at the subject of community. So one of the reasons, honestly, why I think we, we, we don't do community well. Maybe, why, maybe some of your relationships aren't doing so hot or your marriages aren't doing so hot because we are literally breathing in consistently hyper-individualism from society at large. We're not even aware of it. It's just the air we breathe. The gospel offers an entirely different air that comes from the very lungs of God himself. So self-centeredness can also be a big one. Hurry is another real issue. Uh, unforgiveness is, is massive. Like, man, if we harbor unforgiveness in our heart, when we nurture and cultivate these uh, grudges that we have towards other people and these offenses that we have in our hearts, man, it's like cancer. It's like kryptonite, prayer kryptonite. Man, you've got to get rid of that. You've got to deal with it. you got to... Take that to God and let God begin to soften those areas in your heart. Uh, Doubt or disbelief. James tells us that when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Again, this doesn't mean that we're not going to have moments where we question God, just like the psalmist did. there's filled with these moments where he's working out. But one thing that's unique between the psalmist, who's maybe got full of doubts, and yet he's pressing into God, and um, someone who's like in the midst of deconstruction of their faith. As the psalmist is saying, I'm going to press into God, Yahweh, even though a lot of what I'm thinking God is doing doesn't make any sense to me. That's different than saying, I don't trust God, I don't trust Scripture, I don't trust anybody, the institution has failed, and I'm just cynical. It's radically different. So doubts, that type of disbelief, and the cynicism is uh, kryptonite. Discord. Uh, Peter writes about this, and he's specifically writing to husbands. And he says, husbands, in the same way as... Uh, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and their heirs of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing, Peter would say, hinders your prayers. Now, again, this idea of discord, he's obviously writing to men, but I think there's probably perhaps even a broader application of this, that he God, God is a God of peace. And if we're, if we're going around sowing discord in our lives, whether it be in your family, within your spouse, your relationship, within your church, do you realize that you are actually actively living in a posture that's in opposition to God? <laughs> and we wonder, like, I feel so distant from God. Well, maybe your whole life is just filled with discord and dissonance. And God's bring, inviting you into harmony and peace. Put down the, Put down the arms, put down the, the battle lines, and trust this God that, that loves you. And then finally, I think just not having a plan, um, just on a very practical level, just not having a plan. So let's say, for example, uh, you begin to realize that, man, maybe the reason why 45 minutes after I've opened my eyes, the reason why I'm a frantic, freaked out, anxiety-ridden stress case is because it all began the moment I opened my eyes and I reached for my phone. Maybe, and I'm not saying that's for all of us, but maybe, that may be sort of a string of events that leads to the 45 minutes into your morning routine and the anxiety. If you were to say, you know what, I want to be the type of person that's not filled with anxiety in the morning. you got to do something. Now, good desire is not enough to change. So you might, you, might have motive, you, know, you might have this idea of like, you know what? I think the connection between my anxiety in the morning is between me and my interaction with my phone, first thing in the morning. Maybe I need to break that. So you might have revelation like that may be the connection. That alone, by the way, is not enough to free you. You know that, right? It's not enough to free you. What will free you, however, is doing something about it. We would call this habits, setting new habits in course. For some of us, it might look like saying, "I'm not going to sleep with my phone next to my bed, or on my bed, or under your pillow." Like, God help us if that's the case. Um, you know, uh, but, but it might be like, like you might, we might have these like, "Well, it's it's my alarm clock." Well, you know, you can go to Amazon and buy an eight-dollar alarm clock, right? That might be a better way to untether you from the anxiety 45 minutes into your morning. That rather than, so you got to you got to break the habit and re-enter into new practices. Uh, the same thing I would just suggest if we want to be the type of people that are like Jesus and living in a way of just recognizing God's presence everywhere I go, every place is sacred. Because you know that the big aim of God's heart from the very beginning is to fill the earth with the glory of God. That's what Jesus did. He comes and everywhere he comes, everywhere he shows up, heaven transforms And what Jesus does is he transforms us to then we, as we go out, become these little pockets, little colonies of heaven everywhere we live so that when people look at our lives and see us, they see something about the beauty and the glory and the goodness and the peace and the shalom of God's kingdom that's come. And if we want to be that type of people, we have to think about what type of a game plan do I have? just on a very practical level to invite God into the very practices of my life. At some point, we just have to think, how will I reorient my practices, my routines, to involve praying? So again, as I mentioned earlier, this is not about feeling guilt or shame at all, because that doesn't work. That's totally disempowering. But it's to think about, what are practices that I'm already doing right now that are actually making me into the type of person that I don't really want to be? versus what are practices I can do, i.e. prayer, that will help me to become like what Jesus invites me to be. I would suggest that that's what prayer is all about. It's about inviting God's power into our lives. So what I want to do right now is I want to finish just by praying together the Lord's Prayer, and we'll do that collectively as a church community. Uh, And so how about we all stand, so no matter where you're at, and if, for example, any of you... We looked at some of those hindrances. Uh, You might, in any way, associate with sort of the first several that are on that list sin, self centeredness, hurry, and forgiveness, doubt, disbelief, discord. There's hope, too, because if that's the track that you're stuck in, there's incredible hope because Jesus says to turn from those things and then to turn to the living God. The word for that is repent, and I'll give you life, I'll help you, I'll set you free. I'll untether you from the trajectory in which those things will take you. And I'll give you a new life, a new pathway, that there's hope from this and a hope and a way forward. So what I want to do right now is I want to pray this prayer together and then we will respond by singing, by partaking of communion. Uh, if you have any circumstances or any, uh, anything at all that you're going through in your life that you just need prayer for, I'll be in the front. There'll be some others that would love to maybe even join you if you need prayer for anything or we get some rugs in the front if you just want to have space to get before God and just worship Him um, as a church community, as a family, then you're invited to do that as well. But how about right now? Let's all pray the Lord's Prayer together. We'll read it off of here. This is kind of like the ESV version of this. And then on the count of three, we'll start. Our Father, one... Oh, hold on. I said three. Who started? Just kidding. So on the count of three, one, two, three. Our Father... In heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our offenses, as we have forgiven those who have offended us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So God, we invite your presence now. As we already know that you're always here, already here. But we invite you, God, to just make your presence known to us and that we would respond to you in faith, in love, in repentance, turning from things that we know are in total conflict with what you're doing. So just have your way as we open ourselves up to you.